Hi, I'm Martina McBride. You know, I've known these shady ladies for a very long time, and I love to hear their stories. But you have to take them with a grain of salt. Now, these tales and opinions are not for the faint of heart, and this podcast is not suitable for children. But then, neither is the music business. (laughs) So light one up and lighten up, because you're listening to the Shady Ladies of Music City. Is this on? Are we doing it now? What are we saying again? I'm Evelyn. And I'm Susan. Some people refer to us as... The Shady Ladies of Music City. We are interviewing the very successful and famous manager, Clint Hyam, who has a really good roster with Kenny Chesney and Brantley Gilbert and Old Dominion and Carly Pierce and Michael Ray, and also uh, is managing the estate of Roger Miller and Chris Christopherson. So we're very happy to have Clint. He's been our friend for many years, and we've also done business together. So hi, Clint. Welcome to the Shady Ladies. So tell us, Clint, how is uh, it to do business nowadays? I mean, are, are you going into the office? Are you know meetings still happening and all those kind of activities? I can't even imagine what it must be like to be trying to manage all these people and push careers forward and then be so handicapped by it all. Yeah, I think the toughest thing is is that, you know, the whole world is disconnected right now on all levels. And, you know, as you both know, have been, you know, we have had similar jobs and done the same thing is that we feed off of that energy that the artist and the fans exchange. And, you know, that's how, you know, you, you, you know, that's a kind of a drug to us all. And, we, we certainly miss that. There's nothing that can duplicate that, uh, of course. Um, we're busy. Uh, we're, some people are back in the office, some are not, you know, kind of got just a, uh, you know, I'm more of a boutique office anyways. I don't have hundreds of employees and things. And uh, But, um, you know, we have lots of Zoom conference calls and, and you know, we still have the careers to keep in play. Uh, we just... You know, economically, uh, artists and managers have su- survived mostly from, you know, live income and, you know, the branding and merchandising and all that comes with that. So, Clint, what brought you to Nashville? I remember being my first exposure to music in general was my mom had a Kenny Rogers and a Chris Christopherson uh, Actually, it was in the late 70s, so I guess... The, the first of the cassettes <laughs> and I just listened to that Christofferson record over and over and over. I knew I, my favorite song was the silver tongue devil. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. uh, and this is my, might've been even a little bit pre gambler. And I didn't really know what genres of music were, you know, you just listen to whatever your family and my family listened to, you know, a lot of AM gold and, you know, Beatles and Stones and things like that. And then they had gotten into some country. But uh, uh, when I was about 10, I think the Barbara Mandrell show, I watched her. I didn't know who she was or that there was country music was even a format. And and I just loved her, her voice, her, her class, her the way she just 
carried herself and of course you know all the talent and then i got really really into wanting to know more about it and then i got into tammy Wynette and george jones and and tammy i was the first concert that i saw it was the holiday inn it was like a monday or tuesday night i guess they used to call them pickup dates she turned the house and uh and seeing her and you know and and going back and getting to meet George Ritchie at the time, he was there, and uh, her husband and manager, of course, and me- meeting the bus driver, and and <laughs> it just increasingly, I got more, you know, interested in the in the business of of it. It kind of started fascinating me. I would read Billboard magazine that would be at say a Tower Records or whatever, and uh, and I had a my grandparents had a friend that had family here so i came to two fanfares back when they called them that in the 80s and wrote for the local newspaper and i worked at a radio station on air how old were you i was 15 and when i was working at on the radio station um i got a mca records at the time you know well they they all still have record reps right and they were calling and I think they were working a Reba McIntyre record and a George Strait and a Oak Ridge Boys and maybe even Nicolette Larson at the time. And anyways, and I was looking at the chart and uh, the, there was Barbara Mandrell song was number five. And in our call out, whatever research that station had, uh, hers was testing like number two for us. And they told us to stop playing the record. They were done, and I we, were, we played forty fives back then. Um, All right, and I and it had Tom Collins production six one five two five 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 zero, and uh, and he also produced you know Ronnie Millsaps, uh, uh, just a mm. huge majority of his big stuff. And so I called, and I thought it was very odd. Why would somebody be? Uh, and I didn't know anything about the business and. And I spoke to a you know gal Teddy who ran his office, and we became friends. And uh, but she put Tom on the phone. Well, unbeknownst to me, Barbara was switching record companies from MCA, going over to Capital, and there, I think we're either in renegotiations to what to do, and you know, this uh, looking back was probably they were weren't feeling the love that. You know, and sometimes that happens when regime changes come in and your new record president or CEO and and that person, you know, isn't into that particular artist. That's just a classic case in Nashville, as you both have seen many times. And so she went over to uh, Capitol. But so 30 some years later, um, you know, I work with the Mandrells and um, and really great friends and it's it's kind of uh they say often you don't want to you don't want to meet your heroes but in my case uh my heroes far exceeded my expectation as people human beings you know that's a great story clint uh because you know it's it's your love of the music that really brought you to it and the fact that you know you, you sort of stumbled into the different you know layers of the music business without you know intentionally going there you just you know wanted to uh be around these people and get to work at it 
I, I just never had there was I never was a calling. You know, people say, oh, I was called to be a teacher or a doctor or whatever. You know, those I'd never had a plan B, um, and I still don't. I don't know what else I would do. Um, I I get up every day for the music and to fight and be a champion for my artist and and I love this town and format. It's been good to me. I mean, some days it you know the inner workings or politics of it will eat your lunch, but um, you know. Well, your love of the music so comes through because you've always talked about artists that you didn't necessarily work with, or particularly the older legendary artists. You know, between you and Susan, you could sing almost every song that was ever written. And you had so much talent yourself as a singer. Well, Susan and I are going to make a du- uh, we're going to make a duets uh, theatrical record. Show tunes. Show tunes. That's right, show tunes. Show tunes. We're going to do My Fair Lady or Gigi or South Pacific. We could do I've South never Pacific met someone easily. Who can pop off a lyric quicker than Susan. I know it's amazing, you, you isn't it? I loved music too when I was growing up. You know, my parents took us to New York all the time to see musicals, and I remember seeing. Uh, Oklahoma, and I remember seeing The Music Man, and you know, The Music Man was with Robert Preston, and Oklahoma was with Bonnie Raitt's father, and you know, it was just extraordinary. Yeah, I loved all all the show tunes, and you know, uh, still do, and still remember every lyric, and I remember growing up, and my father pushing me on the swing in Pittsburgh when I was about four years old, and singing O-K-L-A-H-O-M-A, Oklahoma. And I didn't even know what it was, but I loved it. Well, how great you got that exposure. Uh, you know, I feel for uh, my friends in, in New York and Broadway because they're certainly uh, shut down. Uh, and I just feel for so many people because, you know, I've had some pretty good years and been blessed and been able to put some away it's the people that you know haven't been able to do that and i just hope and pray that they can weather the storm because i think there's going to be a lot different landscape when this comes back you know we're in a business that it's not it you know it's a certain set of skills as you both know and you know what if you specialize in press or radio or you know a and r whatever but uh, the record companies, you know, streaming and country has been up, and uh, so they they've been okay. It's it's the other side of it, and and I'm glad they're okay, by the way, because uh, we got to have our our music out there, and and you know, radio numbers are down because people aren't in their cars. Are a lot of your artists working on new music now with this downtime? I can imagine it could be a very creative time. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of them are. Um, Ev, some some say, you know, they don't like writing with the Zoom experience because it takes out that human interaction, which I understand. So it makes it a lot more challenging. You know, some people are able to navigate it, and I think they're having to. Uh, but for the for ninety days or so, I think everybody just, you know, really got disconnected and. Didn't know how to, you know, nobody saw this coming, and I think everybody's reacted to it differently. And, you know, I think now that it's, we're deep in the weeds with this, that people are starting to, like, you know, 
my band Old Dominion uh, are going in September to start, you know, getting back on the creative. And um, well, I was going to say Kenny is unbelievable because it doesn't matter what's going on, what decade it is. Radio always embraces Kenny. I've never seen him put out a song. I mean, maybe one or two that didn't go to the top five. It's just extraordinary. More than any other artist in the format. Let's talk about how, you know, you and Kenny have been together for so long. I mean, one of the things that I so admire about Kenny and about you is your loyalty to your people and your team. And, you know, it's an an amazing uh, story. Yeah, Kenny and I met in 1993. He had just come over to the company with with my business partner, Dale Morris, who I had just started with as an intern. Uh, I was still at Belmont uh, and uh, started working in the, eventually, you know, after the internship, I started, you know, working, booking shows and stuff for the roster. And and uh, I think it was 90, end of 95, first of 96, that there was some um, personnel changes and, Dale put Kenny and I together and and Kenny was very reluctant because he told Dale, you know, I I don't he doesn't have any coattails that I can ride. And he says he has none. He said, but he can grow with you and you guys can grow together and I'll be here to make sure that you don't stumble. And, you know, it it was as important to me to be a star on this side of the microphone, although I I I try to stay away from a lot of the you know, press and, and and the attention. But, you know, I, to me, when I see somebody uh, do that that's not the performer, oh, it's kind of a stomach turner for me because, you know, it should be about the artist. And, uh, you know, I just, like both of you, where you earn great respect, that's what we all want. And, you know, and our artists to to know that. And, you know, it's about them and if they win, then it trickles down to us. But, uh, you know, I wanted to be a star on this side of the microphone and be respected. And, you know, I was just a kid. And uh, so it was, you know, I, there were a lot of managers that were a lot older than me. And I'm, you know, got an artist who's struggling. But, you know, what's that saying? It's amazing what you can do before you know you can't. And yeah. um, we just kept persevering. And then um, there were pivotal moments along this career where you know we would turn a corner and 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 set goals set new goals that were game changing and uh, people ask me did you ever see Kenny Chesney being able to play all the stadiums he's done and I said no we didn't know dream that big we just kept uh we're so competitive every time we would accomplish a level we would we try to you know take it to the next one and we had amazing partners along the way still do because uh, you it takes you know champions uh, Connie Bradley and Donna Hilly who befriended me in this town uh, much like both of you did uh, always told me you know this town takes champions you know and and I really leaned into and I plus I you know I I, I had rather much speak to somebody like y'all or Connie and you know or Joe Galani and that did it on this side versus say the artist I love you know 
a lot of artists and uh, was certainly a fan of most of them before I got in the business. Now, you know, I really don't, outside of my roster, other than being aware as far as, you know, what you got to compete with, you know, it's not that important to me to be, to be around other entertainers except my own uh, that I work with. But um, anyways, you know, it, just having champions and, and people like that, that. You understand artists, Clint, and that's why artists feel so comfortable around you. Well, that's very sweet of you to say, you know, um, it, I, you know, after a while, you know, I just, artists think differently. They, you know, and they have to, to get up and do what they do and be creative. But I like that. It's not boring. You know, it's not mundane. And, you know, as a personal manager, you get involved in every facet of that artist's career and what they're doing. You touch, you may not specifically be a specialist in every one of those categories and you know for instance we have a publicist and we've got a tour promoter and you know a record company and everyone inside of that record company has a job but you have but as that manager you know you you work with every moving part and and no two days are ever the same when did you really realize what was going on with kenny you know i mean for a lot of people you know, he was having hits, but a lot of people were having hits. And then it seemed almost like overnight he was playing stadiums. And it was all about, you know, the the live show. And you had to see a Kenny show and the energy that he brought to it. And it was kind of, uh, you know, breathtaking, you know, because Kenny had been around for a few years working his way up. And he was sort of in that group of those guys that were having hits and doing good. But then, boom, he just you know, surpassed everybody. And, you know, it was it was a surprise to some of us. You know, not that he didn't deserve it, but it was just so big all at once. Well, I, I have a, a several thoughts. You know, first of all, the worst thing that could have happened to Kenny would have been having the luxury of, say, a major impact record of, say, like, I hope you dance or you know, a record of the year because he wouldn't have been able to live up to that, uh, where that record would open a lot of doors for an artist. He he put, you know, radio records together and grew bit by bit by bit. So he kind of was able to grow into his shoes. And we kind of set this objective, okay, how do we, because, we, you know, we put out a greatest hits record and, and, it did 85,000 units the first week and it went number one and, you know, and everyone's going, wow, this guy's got a greatest hits. And, you know, he's kind of the unknown guy. We hadn't really been nominated or winning awards at that time. And so this is, I think he did a lot of growth between 99 and 2001 before 2002 is the first year we headlined and never looked back and, and, and never opened for anyone else. But we got two years of George Strait. Uh, and we had that year of Tim McGraw where I think we had like, you know, 40 feet of stage, which is nothing, had very few bells and whistles, but we were doing a lot of T-shirt business. And a lot of people were going, wow, this Kenny's, you know, he's the next guy. Even I remember Tim McGraw saying to me backstage, uh, I think we ended the tour in Nashville back when Starwood was here. He said, he said, Kenny's a, he's a headliner now. And, you know, I, <laughs> well, what a um, amazing compliment, but, you know, I don't even know if it, it, it didn't sink in back then. Cause you know, 
I guess from 02 on, we've just, it's been bigger and bigger every year. I, I think our first stadium show was maybe 04 or 05. Oh, no, it was 03. It was in Knoxville. And then I think in 04, 05, we put a couple in there and then started sprinkling more and more. And gosh, I don't know what the number is of stadiums he's played now, but 250 stadium dates, something wow. like that. And uh, we were on, you know, we had over a million tickets sold before this pandemic hit, and we've rescheduled for next May, you know, uh, hoping for the best. I was I was going to say that when Kenny exploded, he did explode. And uh, to go to Kenny's shows, which we've gone to many of them around the country, it's it's just a magical experience. I mean... You know, Clint will call us usually before a tour and say, you know, which which show do you want to go to? And it's hard to even pick one because all of them are, you know, have really special kind of feelings. Like I love, the, you know, the one up outside of Boston. I love in Pittsburgh on the water. Um, it's just a, a very cool experience. And I've never, and I've toured with, you know, you know not hundreds of acts, but, you know, scores of acts and been involved in all of their backstage activities and I've never seen a tour that runs as smoothly and where the people seem to be having so much fun. The crew and all of the people that work with Kenny just, and, and Clint and the whole team, they just adore each other. And it's a very special thing, you know, to see. It really starts with the artist, you know. Well, you see it with the way that, that his people feel about him and, you know, everything down to catering is, you know, lavish, wonderful food for everybody. You know, you get a sense of where you are by what they're serving. It's uh, it's a very fun, you know, uh, thing to do is to go to a Kenny show. And, you know, there aren't a lot of shows you can say that about sometimes, you know, because it does come <laughs> from the top. And I've been around shows where the artist is, no one can look at me. Nobody can be standing in the hall when I come through. Nobody can be in catering if I want to eat. And it's, you know, it's such a turnoff, and you see the people are unhappy, and then you go into Kenny world, and it's like, everybody's happy. And He's really, because, you know, Kenny doesn't enjoy the celebrity part, which, you know, some people, as you know, you work with, and, that, and they love that, but he really loves being that guy on stage, sharing that connection with his audience that he's curated over the years, and, you know, the No Shoes Nation, and... That's what he misses. He doesn't care about uh, being on a TV show. or, But that's not his favorite thing to do is go out and be a, a media star. I see the time is flying by in our interview, but I wanted to ask you about a new phase of management that you are moving into, which is artist estates. Uh I know that you were doing the Roger Miller estate from Mary and the Christofferson estate, which is very impressive. They both have a lot of major songs. I know Roger's widow Mary told me that Roger had about 1,500 songs he wrote, which is a really extensive catalog. I know you have just started this phase, but how is that working out? Well, you know, I... First of all, I mean, I mean, it was a huge Roger fan. Who isn't, right? And and I, if there were a Mount Rushmore of of country music, Roger would be on that. But I absolutely love and adore, you know, his widow Mary, and we've had a long time friendship that never 
involved any kind of business, and I know you both known Mary much longer than I have, but it's it's been fun. And Rob Philhart in my office has a huge passion to broaden the catalog and get out there and and you know keep generations involved and and aware of Roger's amazing catalog. And um, I mean, Roger was just so brilliant. I don't know if there was a more brilliant songwriter you know so witty so you know he wasn't just a typical hillbilly in nashville clint we want to thank you so much for joining the shady ladies in conversation today um we really miss seeing you we adore the fact that you uh agreed to do this i know you don't like to do you know but trust me our audience is probably not that big so not not that many people uh will be exposed to uh, the shady ladies i love you both dearly you are you mean the world to me you're you know family uh, uh, to me uh by choice and you know i just we have so much history and and it's just nice to to know that that's a wonderful byproduct of getting to work in the business is some of the relationships that you do you know because it can be a business where you know, it. my grandfather used to say in business is like a merry-go-round, right? People get on, they get off. And a lot of times, but you guys, you know, there are some friendships that are forged beyond the business. And, and you all mean, you know, the world to me. Well, thank you, Clint. That's very sweet. We feel exactly the same about you. You have been one of the, you know, few people that haven't disappointed me in uh, the business and um you know i really appreciate that because it does keep you going to know that there are good people out there well thank you all very much and uh we'll chat soon thanks for listening you be sure to subscribe and we'll be sure to catch you off guard so light one up and lighten up share and tell your friends then rate, review, and subscribe. Don't be quiet about this. We need you to tell everyone because why is someone going to listen to this? No one has any idea who that we are. So it's up to you to get us known. It has to be a viral thing. It has to be a uh, you know word of mouth thing because we're putting our faith in your hands. We are. For more information on the podcast, please visit www.shadyladiesofmusiccity.com. Shady Ladies of Music City is recorded and produced in Nashville, Tennessee, and is presented by Monument Records. Executive producers are Jason Owen, Shane McAnally, and Katie McCartney. Our producer is Joel Beaver. Our theme song is written and performed by Robert Schaefer's. He is also our engineer and editor.